You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. fantastic episode of Talking Time Wars. This is episode number 134, Genesis of the Daleks Story Review. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Excuse me, can you help me? I'm a spy. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going, Paul? I love that line. It's a great line. It's a great line. Excuse me, could you help me? I'm a spy. And then he clunks their heads together. Oh, yes. <laughs> With the big grin the whole time. <laughs> People are going, what are they talking about? We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> How's it going, Paul? Oh, dude, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you guys are wondering why we're putting out a slightly fewer number of episodes the last couple of months. It's because both of our schedules have been crazy. Yes. So (laughs) I am recording this at the very end of the busiest week. My, the hotel I work at will have all year long. Yeah. Uh, I'm exhausted. And the only thing I can talk about right now is this episode of Dr. Who. As soon as this episode is done, I'm going to just veg out for the rest of the night. Um, (laughs) Before we get talking about Genesis of the Daleks, which I'll let you in on a secret, probably Paul's favorite uh, classic Doctor Who episode ever. Moi? Yes, <laughs> you. <laughs> we do have uh, a just a couple of little news items we want to address before we get started. Uh, first of all, Paul, uh, you wanted to bring up uh, a little bit of sad news that we received. Um earlier this week did you have that brought up uh i'm working on it okay well then we'll come back to that um first of all i guess we'll start with the good news uh the good (laughs) news is peter capaldi uh has been offered to stay on for series 11 now obviously we know series 10 is not going to air until spring of 2017 
Erg, BBC, why are you making us wait that long? Um, and that will also be Stephen Moffat's final season as showrunner. Uh, Chris Chibnall will be taking over for series 11 and has uh, according uh, apparently uh, offered Peter Capaldi the role of the of Doctor Who uh, for that series. So uh, he may be transitioning uh, showrunners, but as of right now, Peter Capaldi has not yet made the decision as to whether or not he will accept that offer. Uh, the offer has been made. Uh, I'm sure we will receive some sort of information about his decision uh, in the coming months, probably closer to the time that Series 10 airs. Uh, so he will not make that decision until much later in the game, is my guess. Uh, he wants to get Series 10 in the can, and then we'll he'll think about Series 11 moving forward. I think this is a good thing, though, um, because it shows that they have confidence in him to to play the role, you know. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. And, 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 and I'm sitting over here going, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. Well, if he continues to give us more of what he gave us this past season, I'm all for it. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, because he, he even specifically said in an interview that they decided that for this past season, the doctor needed to be more likable as a yes. character. Uh, he still needed to have that edge and that that grumpiness at at points, but he needed to be more likable because he personally felt like the Doctor wasn't as likable in season eight, and so uh, he wanted to to make sure that that came out in season nine. Yeah. You know, still edgy, still mm -hmm. has his grumpy moments. <laughs> but he's a lot more likable, especially with the uh, sonic shades and the electric guitar. So, <laughs> well, which I, um... I wish I wish they had kept him playing uh, that guitar for his theme the entire season. We got it. <laughs> we got it that one episode. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with but, that. But I really liked it. His theme with that, and I think if if anything happens to change that theme for series ten. I hope it's that they add the guitar into the into the the theme. I can uh, get behind that, you know, because it sounded perfect. But yeah, anyway, I can get behind that. And the nice thing too is that the actual guitar playing in the the show is really Peter playing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not him pretending to play uh, like they would do with someone that didn't have his background. You know. Uh, so I think that that's makes it a little bit more authentic, you know. Indeed. And the the other uh, somber news that we wanted to get to, do you have that ready, Paul? I do. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, it was posted on the seventeenth. Um, David Tennant's uh, past doctor, uh, the tenth doctor, David Tennant, uh, his father passed away this week. Uh, Reverend Sandy uh, McDonald, uh, which I don't know if people realize it or not, but David Tennant's real last name is McDonald. Tennant is his stage name. So, uh, yeah, it's Dr. Reverend Sandy McDonald. He was a church leader, and uh, he passed away this week at uh, 78. Oh. So... 
And our thoughts and prayers and well wishes go out to David and his family uh, during yeah. this time. So give yeah, some warm thoughts towards the 10th Doctor. I'm sure in the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world, he will have felt them already. And since there's no good way to transition out of that sort of story, uh, we're yeah. just going to move on. Uh, we are <laughs> talking tonight about Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, the first Dalek episode featuring Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor. Spoilers. This was written by Terry Nation, yet again, the creator of the Daleks, This is, which is a good thing. It was a six-episode story arc taking place in Season 12 from the 8th of March to the 12th of April, 1975. Uh, uh, written by the Daleks' creator. Uh, now, the interesting thing about it for me is, uh, of course, this is the same person who wrote the first Daleks story. And this one, you can tell me if you disagree with this or not, is really, at least in my opinion, the first time that we had a story, uh, at least with the Daleks, uh, possibly even in Doctor Who overall, that was written to very staunchly and intentionally be a prequel. Yes, I would. I yeah. would say that is that is uh, a probably fairly accurate, uh, a fairly accurate statement there. Uh, this this is definitely supposed to be the origin of the Daleks <laughs> because when the first Doctor met the Daleks way back in the Daleks, um, how many times can I say Daleks in the same sentence? Um, <laughs> they they had already been, existed. They had already been yeah. there for a while. Uh, we hadn't seen their creation. And so this is a prequel to tell us how the Daleks came to be. And uh, before we get into the details of that, qu real quick, general overall thoughts uh, on Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, keep the gushing just in check. <laughs> well, I, I will say this. I, I really, and, and this is, uh, I've watched it at least six or seven times, but... I will say that I watched it again today, and um, it it just every time that I watch it, I see some new little detail. I pick up on some new little thing, and it really struck me this time when I was watching it. Probably because we have been focused so much on the Dalek storylines and things like that, it really struck me like it felt like that this was actually what was in the back of his mind the entire time okay. when he wrote the first Dalek storyline, but he knew he couldn't fit all of the details and stuff into that. So he just kind of put it on the shelf and said, well, maybe I can come back to it later. You know, it really has that feel to it to me because it feels natural like it has it, it feels like that it, it's supposed to just be this way you know mm -hmm. and this is quite possibly one of the first real 
in your face times that you get to see the bootstrap paradox in Doctor Who, <laughs> you know, because uh, and I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail about it until we really get into the meat of it. But it's like you can see how everything falls into place in such a way to say this kind of had to happen this way because it had to lead into the original Dalek story, you know? Yeah. Uh, it is, it is a very good Dalek story, very solid Dalek story. I'm not sure I would rank it as my favorite, but it is definitely one of the most important Mm -hmm. by far, uh, stories concerning the Daleks. I mean, we even saw it being referenced very heavily uh, right. this past season uh, with Peter Capaldi uh, at the very beginning of season nine, uh, series nine. Right. Uh, it was referenced very heavily there. And it is one of the most impactful and most important uh, Dalek storylines probably ever um, because it really sets the stage for who the Daleks are and why they are the way they are, and how they got to be that way. Maybe not my favorite, but definitely, in my estimation, the most important. Before we start delving into the details, uh, we also got a new companion. Uh, So, obviously, Doctor has changed. We'll get into him a little bit later. We still have Sarah Jane Smith, uh, who we saw in Death to the Daleks uh, last time with John Pertwee as the third Doctor. Right. But this time... Uh, the Doctor and Sarah have been joined by Harry Sullivan, as played by Ian Martyr. Uh, what are your thoughts on Harry? I liked Harry. I, I like Harry, I should say. Harry reminds me a little bit of Ian from the first Doctor. Mm-hmm. But he just feels more, I guess, a little bit more laid back. You know, in his personality, he really it's, goes with the flow. Yeah, and and he, and and part of that kind of becomes evident in some of the couple of the things he says during this story uh, to the Doctor, and uh, we'll get to those later on. But it just feels like that he doesn't really get too emotionally affected by the things that are going on around him because he has just enough self-confidence in himself to feel like that whatever happens, he's going to be okay. Yeah. He's, he takes everything in stride. He is a doctor, Mm -hmm. um, a military doctor. He works with unit, um, and sort of gets saddled, you know, following the doctor around because the brigadier said to keep an eye on the doctor. And the doctor was like, well, let's go off in the TARDIS. And Ian was like, wait, (laughs) or not Ian, excuse me. Uh, Ian is the actor's name. And Harry was like, wait, <laughs> you can't go in there. You can't go in the police box. It's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> we all know police boxes don't go careering around all over the place. Do we? Um, <laughs> which was the doctor's answer. Uh, and so he just sort of ends up in the TARDIS <laughs> and leaves with the doctor. And this is, and he's just sort of, after a bit of a shock at first, he just sort of learns to take everything that happens in stride and this is getting, you know, farther towards the the end of the season. This is the second to last story arc of the season, and Ian is finally. Or Ian, I did it again, Harry. <laughs> oh my gosh, I should not have written down the actor's name in front of me because I'm going to call him Ian every time. Um, he's not Harry, Chesterton. <laughs> he's not. He's not Chesterton. My dear boy. 
Um, <laughs> Although he could probably pass for Chesterton's son. He could. <laughs> he could. By this time, Harry has finally learned to just sort of accept what happens and where they go and that things just seem to keep happening to them. Um, <laughs> and so he just makes the best of it. Yeah. Um, let's get into what actually happens in this episode. They are trying to return back to Space Station Nova, I believe it is, from the previous story arc. They they had gone down to Earth to fix some stuff, ran across the Sontaran, defeated the Sontaran, and were returning to the space station to let them know, hey, you can come back down to Earth now. It's a very simplistic story, but you know, you know summary of that, but that's basically what you need to know. The TARDIS is on the space station. That's why they're going back to the space station, because they need the TARDIS. They enter the transmat, and we start this episode with the Doctor walking out of the mist in this battlefield. That's, you know, it, it, the, the ground is, you know, very craggy and rocky and, you know lifeless and there's just mist everywhere and it's a battlefield and he's like this isn't space station nova where are we and all of a sudden there's a time lord in front of him and (laughs) and the doctor gets a little fussy about having his chain yanked and you know sent around on the whims of the time lords and the time lords have basically said, um, you're going to go back in time and stop the creation of the Daleks because we foresee a time where they will have wiped out everybody. And the doctor is like, I can't do that. <laughs> um, and so he's given three options to uh, delay, uh, to, to, to destroy the Daleks, mm-hmm. to prevent their uh, ever coming to existence, or to discover or create some sort of weakness that can be exploited in the future. Those are his three options. Um, I think I got those right. (laughs) Well, part of one of those options was to find a way to make them uh, less warlike. Yes, less warlike. And the Doctor finally agrees because it's the Daleks, and how can he say no uh, when it involves the Daleks? But... Of course, they're asking him to create a massive paradox at this point. Yes. <laughs> asking is putting it kindly for the Time Lords, too. They're basically saying, yeah, you know, you're going to do this. And he finally goes, fine, fine, fine. We'll go to Scarrow. And he's like, great, you're already here. Bye. Poof. <laughs> and for for those that are listening to this that have not seen this um, storyline yet, but are still listening anyway... Uh, you probably want to pause it and go watch it. But um, <laughs> the visuals at the beginning of this are very similar to the uh, very first episode of season nine. So, you know, the the war scenes and things like that, they're very similar. The, 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 yeah. the, uh, the, the opening, apprentice. yeah, the opening uh, scenes are very, they could very easily overlay one another. So that would give you some kind of an idea of, of what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the doctor hears Harry and Sarah calling out in the mist. He goes and finds them and says, yeah, here's what we're doing now. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, the Time Lord uh, that 
came and gave the doctor his mission, gave him uh, a time ring that will yeah. return him to the TARDIS when the mission is complete. I forgot to mention that, and I shouldn't have forgotten to mention that because it's a very important plot point later on. Exactly. <laughs> About three or four different times in the story, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure everyone is going, oh, it's going to go missing, right? Yes, you're right. Um, as the the doctor... It's, and... It sort of becomes the MacGuffin of the story. Uh, yes, eventually. Uh <laughs> As the Doctor and his companions are trying to figure out where to go next, uh, they find themselves in the middle of a battle. They notice some dead bodies, uh, and it's interesting because they have a weird mix of ancient and modern equipment. Uh, you know, synthetic fibers with furs, uh, muskets and laser guns, gas masks, and other, you know, primitive items, you know... It's a whole cacophony of old and new. You know what I was thinking when I was watching this? What were you thinking when you were watching this? Uh, of course, you know, after we watched season nine, you know, we got to see the Magician's Apprentice. I was looking at this and I was going, I wish we got to see some hand mines in this. this <laughs> you know, this would be really cool to see, you know. <laughs> a hand mine. Yeah, just, you know, like off in the background, there's just like, you know, a bunch of hands sticking up out of the ground somewhere, you know, that kind of thing. Of course, you know, nowadays they could go back and CGI that stuff in there, you know, but uh, I just think it would be really cool to see something like that, you know, in one of these classic episodes. It'd be funny. Um, <laughs> they also notice a large protective dome uh, in the distance that's covering an entire city, uh, and they start to make their way towards it because, well... When there's a big city covered by a dome, you go check it out. And then they start running because there's a uh, artillery bombardment heading their way. And, uh, of course, this is after making their way through a minefield where the doctor nearly gets himself blowed up. You know, it, it's just a mess. Uh, but <laughs> the artillery bombardment propels them into a trench near this city that they're headed for. Uh, the trench is manned by the dead who are propped up, you know, over, you know, to, to look like they're peeking over the trench uh, to sort of bolster the image that there are more people here than there are actually. Yeah. Suddenly a gas shell is dropped near them and starts filling the area with a poisonous gas as the doctor sarah and harry are grabbing gas masks off the dead soldiers yeah. which is weird enough in and of itself <laughs> can uh, you imagine the smell of the inside of that thing <laughs> uh, yeah i was trying not to. and it and it probably has residue on it and stuff too you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad there, during the filming, it was just mannequins, and they didn't really have to experience that. Um, uh, guys, in case you're wondering, I like messing with Jason when it comes to stuff like this, because I know how it makes his skin crawl. Because, <laughs> see, Paul says these things, and my brain immediately, my imagination is so active and so vivid that it immediately starts to create that thing. Yeah. And it's gross. Um my mom's the same way. I, I do things like that to her at the dinner table and stuff when we're eating at their house. You know. Oh, I'm sure she really <laughs> appreciates that. 
my dad does it too, so you know. (laughs) So that's where you get it. I get it honest. (laughs) There you go. Uh, But as they are trying to uh, protect themselves from the poisonous gas, uh, soldiers burst out of the bunker that the trench is in front of, and capture them, or at least capture the doctor and Harry. Uh, Sarah gets knocked out and left in the trench, which is funny because she's wearing this bright yellow rain slicker from the previous story. And you you figure you didn't notice her over there, <laughs> right there in this bright yellow. Oh. Never mind. She's the brightest <laughs> thing on screen the entire episode. By the way, folks, um, it's kind of funny. Yeah, she's but... walk, walking around looking like a, a road cone or something in a desert. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is funny. It's a good thing that she she loses the uh, the slicker uh, a couple episodes later. The doctor and Harry. Uh, are captured by these this race called the Khaleds, who reveal that they are fighting a war with the Thals for the dominance of Skarrow, and the war has been going on for hundreds of years. And the Doctor goes, oh, Khaled, that's an anagram of... How interesting. Yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't actually say it. Uh, and we as the audience go, anagram of... Oh, yeah. yes. Now, I will say this... Um... And we can probably talk a little bit more about this later. Um, but I did find it a little bit, I don't want to say um, disappointing, but just a little bit of a missed opportunity, I guess, for the doctor not to at least make some kind of a passing mention of how the historical records that he read back in his first incarnation didn't 100% match up with the events of what was happening to him now, you know? He's got a few more pressing issues to attend to, though, like staying alive. I just felt like that that would have been a sweet little callback, you know, uh, to have, you know, just loosely tied those threads together, you know, because they are telling a direct story that leads into the other story. The Doctor and Harry are being accused uh, by their captor, who's a young general, of being mutos. You know, basically mutants of of the Khaleds and the Thals that have, you know, occurred because of horrible, horrible, you know, chemical weapons and that sort of thing over mm-hmm. the years. And the Khaleds are, well, let's just say Nazis, uh, in the purest sense of the word. They Literal... Everything about them. Yeah, is, racial purity, yeah. their uniforms, the way they salute right. and click their heels. It's total Nazi. Uh, but now the Khaled and the the Thal in this story, neither one are guiltless. Uh, no. They are both bloodthirsty at this point. Yeah. yeah. You know. Whereas we have learn to to know the Thals as the the more reasonable, more peaceful mm-hmm. race on Scarrow, that has been a later development. Uh, that is not the case now. And uh, I think that was a direct result of the things that happened in this story and, and the handful of people uh, that were able to remember what happened, you know. The, the doctor has tried to explain that they're not mutos, they're aliens from, you know, the future, which doesn't go over too well either, yeah. 
but that gets them passed on to security, uh, the security chief, Niter. Remember Niter, he's important. Uh, mm-hmm. And he gets, they get passed on to Niter, and he takes them to uh, the scientific bunk, uh, part of the compound where the scientific elite are to be interrogated uh, by the scientific community, and then Davros. I'm going to say this for me personally, um, and I know there's no tie-in to the characters or anything like that. I know that they're in no way linked in any way, um, but the feeling, just the the general atmospheric feeling that I got around Niter really felt the same as the feeling that I got from Colony Sarf. You know, that kind of creepy kind of you never really know what's going on under the surface kind of you know almost serial killer kind of vibe you know right. uh, and you know so I feel like that that the those two characters sort of loosely serve the same purpose in the story in a way you know although Niter has a lot more to do than right. Colony Sarf and ends up being a lot more important in the right. long run than Colony Sarf. But as a character, it just felt s- sort of like the same tone, you know. He's also a bit snakish. Yeah. You don't trust him. You don't trust him at all, which is smart. Um, Sarah, meanwhile, has finally regained consciousness, uh, as is uh, a normal occurrence in these episodes, and wanders off looking for the Doctor and Harry. Uh, she ends up at a ruined building and peeks around the corner to see that Davros, who is this wrinkled, shriveled up old being who's wired yeah. into this giant chair thing and is practically paralyzed from the neck down except for the use of his right arm, barely, is running some experiments with a what he calls a travel machine. Yeah. Uh, AKA a Dalek as known by Sarah. The Dalek is set up to follow voice commands to move around and to take direction, receive direction. And then Davros has targets set up and he yells exterminate. The Dalek fires its laser weapon and exterminates all of the targets and Davros is pleased. And that's where yeah. the first episode ends. I felt like it was really a uh, nice way that they that they let her see Davros first. You know, mm-hmm. as opposed to the Doctor. Because uh, it, it lets you, as the, as the viewer, sort of experience him with her. You get to feel that feeling of dread through her eyes as opposed to the doctor walks in and, Oh, there's Davros, you know? Right. Uh, he makes Davros start out as more of a, a mysterious kind of shadowy type figure, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, she is then cornered by mutos, uh, some of which want to kill her. However, uh, a kind Muto, uh, by the name of Severin, decides that she, she's beautiful and therefore should not be killed. And so he defends her. Right. 
and then the mutos start to scatter because a thal patrol shows up uh kills one or two of them and takes uh severin and sarah prisoners because they need uh slave labor so yes like we said the thals are not the 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 peaceful reasonable good guys that we have learned to know them as uh you know at this point in their history no they are they are not blameless and guiltless either i didn't pay close enough attention to remember this and you can tell me uh if you remember or not are the mutos uh do they have like a resistance in any way to like radiation and stuff uh, do no. you you remember that no they don't uh because i was thinking that that had something to do with the reason why they were putting them to work in this radiation exposed area you know no no it's just because they were considered secondhand beings and were cheap labor and could lift things and were expendable that works too in the story not in my personal opinion of course but you know right (laughs) the doctor and harry have been taken to uh, one of the chief scientists by the name of ronson and ronson is actually listening to what the doctor and harry have to say and is intrigued and sort of shocked when he uh gets the the proof that yes they are actually aliens and he's like what are you doing here what's going on before the doctor can really start to tell the story davros shows back up with his mark three travel machine uh he switches off the controls and a turns it onto independent control, allowing the travel machine to operate independently. Now, these travel machines are designed, we learn, to house what Davros has declared are the Khaled's final evolutionary form. This final evolutionary form is that of a green blob, which is gross. I'm going to... Just give my personal opinion on this. Okay. I don't honestly believe that this would really and truly be what the Khalids would eventually turn into. I think this is what Davros created through manipulation and just let them believe that. Because I I, I don't feel like that you would have seen them physically degrade into human you know from humanoid form to a green blob with you know an eye an eye or a tentacle or whatever that is in my mind de-evolution as opposed to evolution mm-hmm. you know and i mean it, it kind of falls in line with davros's own philosophy anyway and that is you know do stuff and explain yourself later right you know uh, as we'll as we'll see. So, and because uh, of Davros being in the shape that he's in physically, mm-hmm. it really, without even saying it, it really leaves you to believe that the tissue that was used to create these things was part of Davros's own body. Yes. You know, as opposed to volunteers that gave DNA or whatever, which is kind of really creepy if you think about it. Yeah. I think I'll just cut my leg off and turn it into a Dalek, you know? Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's a thing. Um, but he turns this Mark III travel machine, which has been equipped with the final evolutionary form inside of it, uh, to independent control. It swivels around and notices the Doctor and Harry. Notices that they are aliens and says that they must be exterminated. Yeah. And is about ready to exterminate them before Ronson jumps in and switches Davros's control chair back as the control mechanism for the Dalek. Incurring the wrath of Davros. Davros oh, is not, yeah. not happy <laughs> that Ronson interceded and did not allow the Dalek to destroy. Uh, Ronson says that you can do that later. They have valuable scientific information. I need to get that first. Uh, <laughs> you Davros, Davros relents begrudgingly, but says that there will be, oh, there will be punishment later. When Davros loses his temper, not in just this story, but in the other stories too, it reminds me. I don't know if you've ever seen the the video. You can find multiple versions of this video on YouTube where, uh, and I can't even remember what movie it's from. I know it's from a movie, but I can't remember what movie it's from. Um, but it's the one where, uh, it shows Hitler in a bunker and they're, he's going over some plans and, you know, the whole thing is subtitled. So you can put any words and stuff that you want, you know, in the videos, which is why there's so many different versions of it, you know, because everybody decides to put their own different subtitles at the bottom. Is this when he just <laughs> starts going? And yes, yes. I've heard that. He's just blowing his top and he's like slamming his fists on the desk and just screaming and nine, 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 nine. And it is, it is so outrageous that it's funny. And, and of course the humor really comes in when you put some kind of ridiculous storyline in the subtitles and stuff for him mm -hmm. to get angry about or something, you know, um, I don't know, something like, uh, something to do with Kim Kardashian or something, you know, <laughs> or we're out of Syria. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or there's no more lucky charms. Nine, 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 you know, <laughs> something crazy <laughs> like that, you know, but yeah, that, that fit just, you know, in that video reminds me of, of what Davros does every single time he yeah. loses his temper, you know, <laughs> and let, let us not, forget to mention the fact that the Daleks, the way that they talk, the way that we are used to them talking, is modeled after the way Davros himself talks. For the most part, yeah. For the most part. I mean, especially the way that he's portrayed in this storyline. Mm -hmm. When he gets angry, that is how the Daleks talk. Yeah. <laughs> he yells and screams and yells exterminate. That's his word. The only time you see him animated is mm -hmm. when he loses his cool. It makes you wonder, especially now that you've seen, uh, well, those of us that have seen it, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Those of us that have seen, excuse me, The Magician's Apprentice, mm -hmm. it really now makes you wonder what has happened to him to make him this way. You know, it really makes me want to see some kind of in-between story, you know, <laughs> to give me some kind of clue or a, or a book or something, you know, 
to give me some kind of clue is what happened to him to make him this way, you know, right? because, you know, you kind of get two different things going on in your mind when you watch this. You're thinking, okay, he was probably injured or damaged in some way in this war, Mm -hmm. but then he just used his damaged body to just create his own master race, basically. And and he, (laughs) he, he brings a whole new ball of wax to the table when you, when you got to deal with uh, Davros. It's just, it's not, not a pleasant situation uh, in general uh, or in particular for that matter. And for those of you who don't know, he is my favorite Dr. Who villain at this point and has been ever since I can remember. Uh, so that may change in the future, but it has not changed yet. So, uh, and we'll get into some of the reasons why as we go through this story. Ronson is able to continue questioning the doctor and Harry. Uh, he learns a few more things from them and begins to and ends up confiding in the doctor later on that he and a few others are wary. And nervous about the the way that Davros and his experiments have been progressing, and the direction that the Daleks, which they have recently been named, yeah, are are going. They are nervous. They are unsure. They they don't like it because it is going down a path that that they don't agree in. And so Ronson ends up releasing the doctor to go speak to the Khaled leaders in the Khaled dome, because these are the elite, the elite scientists, the elite military, and they're in a bunker all by themselves away from the rest of the Khaleds in order so that they can you know, continue to develop the best way to win the war or something. But he releases them uh, in the hope that they will be able to reach the Khaled leadership and uh, try and put a stop to Davros's experiments. Sarah and her Muto friend join a couple of Khaleds and Mutos in their slave labor assignment, loading a gigantic rocket with... I don't remember what the chemical is. It's radioactive, whatever it it's is. It's a radioactive chemical... And there's no shielding. And there's no shielding on it because they need to save weight uh, for the rocket. And so the slave labor works in shifts in order to, you know, not die all at once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Here, we'll just let you suffer a little longer. Here, go have a bologna sandwich and come back tomorrow, you know. Yeah. Go ahead, <laughs> rest for a couple of hours, then come back and load another another. Uh, cart full of this this radioactive material oh you weren't Uh, a muto when you started but you are now oh i'm sorry you know (laughs) exactly (laughs) of course sarah uh, is the first to mention the word escape and says that they can climb the scaffolding that surrounds the rocket and get out on top of the dome and just slide down the outside of the dome it's a gentle enough slope they'd be able to escape that way and they have to do this fast before they get too weak to try. Uh, and so as their rest period is, you know, as, when they are taken back to their cell for their rest period, they 
create a diversion, distract the one guard that is in there, knock him out, and are able to get outside. The whole group makes their way to the rocket chamber and starts climbing up the scaffolding. The guard, unfortunately, uh, does not stay knocked out and is able to hit the alarm, thus causing... A bunch of Khaled soldiers to uh, rush in. See, this is where we needed the third doctor, so he could <laughs> you know, he could do the the whole, you know, that, yeah, the, <laughs> the Venusian uh, karate, Venusian aikido, whatever it is he calls it. Um, but they run in and they start firing up at the Mutos and the Khaleds and Sarah. Uh, as they are escaping. Many of them, you know, are hit and fall and die, and it's a complete massacre of these prisoners. Sarah and Severin, her friend, uh, manage to get to the top, and they are at the top of the scaffolding. They jump onto the rocket and are getting ready to climb to the top of the rocket and get out on the dome when some of the Thal warriors finally catch up to them. And at gunpoint, force them back down and have them join another work party. Okay. It it was a, it was an exciting scene, though. It was, but this is just my personal opinion. Okay. It needed music. No. Oh. If I, okay, if I had one specific gripe. Okay. About this story. In a in in whole, it is probably the secondary storytelling for the companions in this, mm-hmm. because at certain points it almost feels like they're just creating something for them to do so that they can have them in the story. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, and um, and and it helps to create something else going on so that they can make it six episodes rather than four. Well, not only that, so that they can show the passage of time for the scenes that the doctor is in, because you need to have, you know, that span of time go by from scene A to scene B with the doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, So they need that there for the storytelling purposes. But now just my personal opinion, um, I think if they were going to do, I'm just going to say this exact same story in the modern series, mm-hmm. especially with somebody like, you know, Moffat or somebody writing this. I feel like that because of the fact that they would be using the companions, I don't want to say as filler, but as a tool or a device to help space out the scenes with the doctor, more or less. I feel like mm-hmm. they would have probably done something more similar to what they did with um, Rose uh, in the very end of uh, series one of the new uh, Who, re, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where, where Rose is trying to devise a way to get the TARDIS to do what she wants it to do so she can go to the doctor, something right. like that. I feel like that that would be something that they would do as opposed to what they've done in this, because I feel like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that way that you keep the, the story with the companions sort of self-contained in a separate place with their own separate 
you know, problems that they have to deal with that aren't necessarily tied directly into what the doctor's doing. And if you did it that way, honestly, if you did it that way, you wouldn't even need the time ring because you would have them working to figure out how to get to the doctor to save him from Scarrow at the end of the story. You see what I'm saying? Gotcha. Uh, And I, I think that, I think that that, I think it can work either way, but I think just depending on the type of story you're trying to tell, sometimes I think it can be a little smarter to use the method that they used with Rose, um, trying to get the TARDIS back to the ninth doctor at the end of season one or series one of the revival series, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, and still be able to tell the story that you want to tell with the doctor and serve the same purpose. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's just my opinion. The, the thing with this storyline is though, they keep Harry with the doctor so -hmm. they can put Sarah by herself and prove she's tough enough to, you know, survive on her own. You know, right. It's one of those things where, they don't want to just have Sarah being the doctor's tag along every mm-hmm. episode. That's and I, and I get that, but I feel mm-hmm. like they did the same type of thing with Rose right. in, in that, you know, in that other story by doing it the way they did it, you know, mm-hmm. by showing her to have enough spunk, I guess you'd say, and enough independent thought and enough stubbornness to do this in spite of him. In order to save his life. The Doctor and Harry have uh, managed to make contact with the Khaled leadership uh, in the Dome. They are given information that they know about the the Thal rocket. And they are unconcerned because Davros recently created you know a substance that will be impervious to the rocket. And therefore, you know, cannot be broken and they will survive the Thal's, you know, final all-out assault that they are planning. And they also got report that there was a prisoner, an attempted prisoner escape led by a young woman. And the Doctor and Harry go, that'll be Sarah. And so they set off to go (laughs) rescue Sarah while the Khaled leadership inform Davros that his experiments are going to be suspended pending an investigation, which is the best that they can do for the doctor at this point. So they're going to launch an investigation and Davros asks for 24 hours to shut down his experiments, you know, because they need time. And the Khaled leadership gives him 12 to which he, you know, agrees to. And he takes it rather well, at least in public. Yeah. Uh, when he and Niter are left alone, Davros, again, furious. Uh, he orders 20 of the uh, Dalek travel machines to be filled with the Dalek mutants, and then informs Niter that the two of them are going on a journey. The, the interesting thing about it, though, is that you get the impression that even though he's not happy with what has just happened, he sort of kind of expected it to happen eventually anyway, because he, he seems to have already made a plan in the back of his mind to say, okay, when this does happen, this is what I'm going to do. Right. The doctor and Harry 
uh, trying not to get caught by the Thals, have been traveling through a series of tunnels and cave systems to get into the Thal Dome. Uh, upon entering the dome, which is a great little scene of them coming through the floorboard, uh, I love the way that the Doctor sneaks around. Uh, it cracks me up. But... <laughs> Especially with that with that scarf flowing all over the floor and everything. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> but of course, their journey uh, has been a longer and uh, more cir- circular. Cir- I was going to use a different word, and I can't remember how it's pronounced. Uh, circuitous? Uh, not sure. <laughs> it's not been a straight line. Um, and people say I use big words. <laughs> <laughs> Jason's showing off. <laughs> well, I like words. The dictionary is my favorite book. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I, I thought it was your Doctor Who novels. That too. Um, <laughs> but since their journey was not uh, as direct as the journey that Davros and Nider took, they arrived there after Davros and Nider, and they are able to spy on a meeting between Davros, Snyder, and the Thal leadership. Davros is giving the Thals a chemical compound to bombard the Khaled Dome with in order to make it brittle and fall apart so that when they fire their rocket, the rocket will have its desired effect. And when asked why he is doing this, Davros says, I just want to see the war over. And I just want to be able to assist you in rebuilding Scarrow when it's over. Mm-hmm. And if you believe yeah. that, I've got <laughs> some swamp land in Arizona to sell you. Um, oh, yeah. He is very cunning. He's extremely cunning. And he's a little mad. He is. It's funny, though, because Nider asks Davros that they're left alone for a moment while, while the Thaw leadership uh, confers on their decision. Uh, Nider asks, do you think they trust you in this? And Davros says, it doesn't matter if they trust me or not. If they trust my motives or not, they can't say no to this. Right. Which is true. It's too good of an opportunity (laughs) to pass up for the Thals. And they accept his terms and essentially, you know, for all intents and purposes, begin the bombardment at once. You know, uh, well, what, they begin preparations for the bombardment at once. What is so sad about this whole scenario, at least in my mind, is that you really get the feeling that the biggest reason why this war is happening at this point and, and is still taking place, uh, probably not started out this way necessarily, but the reason why it has continued the way that it has is more or less because of racism. Oh, yeah. You know, and because even though they look alike, they're genetically different. And because they're genetically different, they think they need to kill each other. And also at this point, they're fighting because they've always been fighting. And the only way the fighting will stop is if the other people are destroyed. Yeah, as opposed to just sitting down and talking, as the doctor says. Yes. <laughs> last, as, this as, past season. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the Doctor and Harry locate Sarah and the other prisoners. They overpower uh, some guards, steal their radiation suits for disguises, rescue the prisoners, uh, and send Harry, Sarah, 
and Severin, the friendly Muto, back to the Khaled Dome and advise, to advise the Khaled leadership of what's going on, while the Doctor attempts to stay behind and sabotage the rocket. Unfortunately, um, the Doctor is uh, leaning up against the metal scaffolding while he's in, you know, investigating the the rocket silo and a guard that had been knocked out turns on an electric current uh, that sends a surge, an electric surge through the scaffolding, shocking the doctor into unconsciousness before he can do anything. When he wakes up, he's in the control room of the, of the Thal Dome as the bombardment is already underway. Yeah. The Kala Dome is getting brittle, is beginning to crack, and they are within moments of launching their rocket. The Doctor, of course, worried for the safety of Harry and Sarah, attempts to stop the rocket launch from happening uh, by talking and then by just trying to hit the button to destruct. But he has stopped both times. The rocket is launched. The Kala Dome is destroyed. And the Thals declare victory. The Doctor, of course, not happy. No. Because he thinks he's just killed Harry and Sarah. The Thals, very happy. Uh, a parade needs to be organized. A victory parade needs to be organized. And the uh, Thal leader there is feeling so generous that he decides to basically pardon all prisoners. Including uh, what, whatever uh, Khaled they have locked away i suppose right and so all prisoners are pardoned and released including the doctor and so everyone leaves the room to go celebrate the doctor just sits there staring at the smoldering uh remnants of the kala dome on the view screen and a young woman thal asks him about how he's doing and he says not good you know and she asks if he had friends in the dome he says yes and when she asks how he'll, you know, what he'll do next, he says he'll continue to, you know, try and finish what he started here and then move on, you know, start again. And he's very melancholy, which mm -hmm. is not something you see from this doctor often. Yeah, he um, he's definitely not liking the fact that uh, he's lost his friends, right. at least in his mind anyway. The scientific and military elite for the Khaleds have also been watching their view screens as to what is happening with the Khaled Dome. They see its destruction, and Davros's first retaliatory uh, response is to eliminate the Thal sympathizer who gave the Thals the formula to destroy their dome. Yeah. And has Ronson exterminated. Just happens to be the one person who was opposing him uh, the whole time. Right. Opposing him. Uh, let the Doctor and Harry escape. Yeah. And tried to, you know, get the uh, investigation started. Uh, yeah, him. He's dead. That's an ally lost. <laughs> Oops. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then... Here's the neat thing about Davros in this this is one of the reasons why he quickly became my favorite Doctor Who villain is because you see the wheels turning all the time in his head. All, all the time he's constantly 
moving the pieces on the chessboard, you know, and he's playing both, both ends against the middle. He's playing both parties against one another so that he can have what he wants. And he's manipulating all the little pieces to put people where he wants them to position everything the way that he wants it so that he can make this happen. And I just, you know, he's a mad evil genius. He's, he's like to, in my mind, Davros is to doctor who, what the Joker is to Batman or what uh, Palpatine is to star Wars. Exactly. Or Palpatine uh, to Yoda, I should say. Yes, yes. <laughs> In the bunker, Davros uh, also is is on the move to a swift retribution against the Thal uh, people. He orders his scientists, uh, one of his chief scientists, to make some changes to the genetic structure of the Dalek mutants. The scientist Garmin says this will produce mental defects, making them devoid of a conscience or morality or pity. Dabra says, no, that's not a defect. That's an improvement. He basically is turning them into the same psychopath that he is. Yes. Yes, they will have no conscience, no sense of morality, no sense of right or wrong. Uh, Yeah, it's not good. And this is, of course... They're almost like a huge version of a virus almost yeah a virus kills Uh, indiscriminately garmin is not happy but he begins work anyways the already the daleks that are already in service are sent to the thal dome uh to bring revenge upon the thals uh begin and they began a systematic sweep through the dome wiping out everyone in sight uh the doctor uh, makes his way back to the bunker, you know, by way of the cave system, to retrieve the time ring. He's attacked by Mutos. Uh, however, they are, uh, you know, frightened off by Harry, Severin, and Sarah, who come to the Doctor's rescue. Uh, he's yeah. super excited to see them both, super happy that they're alive. Uh, and when he asks, you know, I thought you were in the, do- the dome, they said, we never made it. Uh, it <laughs> we didn't get there. To get there in time. So. Okay. I do have one more little tiny nitpicky qualm with this. Okay. The the area where they are now. There's the cave. creatures in this thing. I've been trying to avoid talking yeah. about them. <laughs> they look like giant clams. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> They're supposed to be cast-offs of experiments that Davros right. has already gotten rid of. And they're supposed to be very dangerous, but very animalistic. Yeah. Problem is, is they're giant foam clams sitting on the floor, and there's nothing terrifying about them. If it was not for that, I think that these these episodes would be almost timeless. You know? Almost perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's other episodes that we can talk about that are have the same type of issue. Uh, and we, we might have an episode soon about that. We just have to figure it all out. Um, right. But that is probably the one thing in all of this that took me out of the story. With these giant foam clans. And every single time I watch it, that one thing takes me out of the story. Yeah. It's a good thing they're not on screen very long. 
it just seems like they could have come up with some different kind of monster or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which I understand the budget being what it is and everything else. They probably took that from a different show of some kind and said, well, we're just going to turn it into a monster, you know. Right. But the the thing about it is there's such an opportunity in this scenario to show multiple versions of different monsters that Davros has experimented on and things like that. And I'm just going to put it up to budget. It's the reason why we didn't get to see that. But I just feel like if they had had the budget to do that, we could have seen so many different kinds of monsters and things because they alluded to that in the original Dalek storyline, but we still barely got to see any of that. And and the creatures that they were talking about in the original Dalek storyline as being supposedly created by the radiation and things like that, we find out in this story were actually created by Davros. Yep. So, At least some of them. Yeah. So before the Doctor, Sarah and Harry uh, return to the bunker, the Doctor sends Severin, our friendly neighborhood Muto, back towards the Thal Dome to try and find Betan, who is the, the young woman who is trying to organize a resistance of Thal, and says, you know, when they get together, bring them back and have them attack the bunker. You know, let them know where the bunker is and have them bring the fight here. Uh, and he, you know, agrees to do so. They get back inside the bunker, of course, traveling through the vents that they had, uh, you know, previously exited from. Meanwhile, Garmin, who has been uh, very shocked by the types of genetic adjustments he was supposed to make to the Dalek mutants, has been trying to see if anyone else is nervous about the direction the Daleks are are taking Mm -hmm. and begins to, you know, circulate ideas of resistance and that sort of thing against the Daleks and against Davros. Nider gets wind of it. And pretends like he is concerned about the direction Davros is taking. Uh, He makes a very convincing plea of of support to Garmin, who agrees to meet him on one of the lower levels uh, later to talk details. Of course, when Garmin goes down there, Nider's waiting, and so is Davros, and Nider reveals, Aha! It was just a trick. And they lock Garmin away. Well, after they've tricked him into giving him all the names of all the people that he's talked to already. Right. So they know <laughs> they know who they can and can't trust. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, as they are putting Garmin into a cell, they hear something. And we get something that happens in a movie that rarely happens ever. Oh, well, in a TV show that doesn't really that doesn't happen very often. When people are sneaking through a duct, an air duct, they are not quiet. It creates a lot of noise. (laughs) And the villains in these movies and TV shows rarely ever hear our heroes sneaking around in the air ducts. (laughs) Not so this time. Nider and Davros hear our trio of heroes uh, rattling around the air ducts and are waiting for them when they emerge into the bunker hallway they are captured (laughs) 
The doctor is uh, hooked up to a machine, and Sarah and Harry are hooked up to a different set of machines. If the doctor lies, the machine that he's hooked up to reads that, and then emits a torture on the machines that Harry and Sarah are hooked up to. And so if the doctor lies, his friends are the ones who suffer. And this... I love this scene because it has that classic Doctor Who feel with the classic sound effects of the machines and things that, you know, and it just, it's just enough over the top to really give you that, that classic Who uh, vibe, but it's just enough pulled back just enough to not take you out of the story you know right it doesn't have a cheese ball factor to it it's just enough you know right it's just <laughs> outlandish enough to be doctor who right but it's not too outlandish right that it's not taken seriously and and every time i hear those types of sound effects and things for those different machines and stuff it mm. brings back all these memories and stuff when i was watching doctor who as a kid you know, I just love it. <laughs> it is great. It is great. And it also helps that our three actors who are hooked up to these machines play it off seriously. Right. You know, they're, they're not they're not just, you know, doing a half job. Yeah. On it. Uh, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, well, they're not hamming it up either. They're not like, no, oh, they're... help me. Oh, help me. Help me. You know. <laughs> right. Right. They're, they're playing it seriously. Uh, which is good. Uh, and of course, the questions that Davros are as is asking is not like, you know, oh, why are you here? You know, what's your purpose? You know, mm -hmm. who's funding you? That sort of thing. No, no, no. He wants to know. So Ronson's questions already determined. You're from the future, from another planet. I need to know where were the Daleks defeated? How were they defeated? Mm-hmm. And how can I stop that from happening? Mm -hmm. And the doctor tries to plead and reason with Davros and say, I can't. I'd be betraying the future. And Davros is like, I don't really care. You know, <laughs> it, it, not quite so flippantly. But now, of course, he increases the torture on the machines. Now you have the doctor versus Davros. Because before it was doing his thing the doctor is doing his thing to try to prevent the Daleks but he's not really head to head against Davros if you know what I'm saying at this point this is when it shifts this is when you have that, that dynamic shift of okay now it is the master chess player against the master chess player basically you know and they are head-to-head -head the Doctor versus Davros at this point, because you have Davros trying to change the future and the Doctor trying to change the future, both of them with their own agenda. Exactly. And and Davros knows that the Doctor has a conscience, which is why he's using the Doctor to torture his companions. Mm -hmm. And the Doctor can't bear to see that happen, especially since he just thought they were dead not too long ago, and he can't see them suffer. So... He tells Davros what he wants to know. And at the end of it all, they've got a tape 
which is funny. You, you can tell when this is made because they're still using tapes and not digital audio like what we've got here, what you're listening to. Um, <laughs> but they have a an entire tape full of the doctor's uh, explanations of the future, and they run out of tape, and so they have to stop for now. And so Davros has Nider take Harry and Sarah back to the cells that wants to speak to the doctor scientifically now yeah. because it's interesting davros knows that the doctor is trying to stop him mm-hmm. but he's fascinated by his knowledge and so they they get into a discussion of the, the morality of the science that they're each using and that sort of thing and uh davros is uh, insistent that the daleks need to be uh, the dominant species, that's the only way they'll survive. they'll survive. And when all other life is suppressed, there will be universal peace, yada, yada, yada. You know, you've heard this before. This feels a lot like Professor X talking to Magneto in the X-Men movies. And the Doctor asks a great hypothetical question. And this, this scene is, is a classic scene from this story arc. This is one of the best scenes in this story arc, period. Mm-hmm. It's this discussion between the Doctor and Davros. The doctor asks Davros if he had invented a virus that would destroy all other forms of life on contact, irregardless of of race or anything, would he use it? Davros pauses, considers, and observes that the power to make that choice would elevate him above the gods. Yes, he would do it. This confirms the doctor that there's no reasoning and no hope for turning Davros and that Davros is mad. This is actually so, the point, I think, where you see the shift in the Doctor go from seeing the Daleks as something that he has to deal with more so to his enemy. You know, his right. his more of his hated enemy, I, I should right. say. This is what tips him on that path to where we finally get with Eccleston and his complete vehement hatred of this the is, This is the beginning steps of that, I think. I, I would agree. I would agree. The Doctor grabs Davros's arm and threatens to turn the life support on his chair off unless he orders the Dalek mutants be destroyed. Davros says, no, no, I'll never do that. The Doctor hits the button, starts this, the shutdown sequence of Davros's life support systems, waits a couple seconds, turns it back on, and Davros relents, gives the order. The Doctor is on the verge of making Davros say that the order cannot be countermanded when, unfortunately, Nider enters and knocks the Doctor out. Yeah. Uh, Davros immediately reverses the order, cancels it, cancels it, uh, and the doctor is taken back to the cells. Uh, meanwhile, however, uh, one of the people that has been in the talks of resistance has managed to knock out a guard and free Sarah, Harry, and Garmin. Harry dresses as the guard, tries to stop Niter when he brings the doctor to the cell, uh, Niter shoves the doctor into Harry and gets away, while Garmin and this other guy go to organize the others into resistance against Davros. This leaves the doctor with three things that they have to do. They have to retrieve the time ring, which was taken yeah. way back at the beginning 
when their pockets were emptied and first captured. They have to get that back. Two, they have to get the tape recording with the knowledge of the future and either steal it or destroy it. Three, they still got to figure out what they're going to do about the Daleks. I love this. It's got a lot of meat to it, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't feel like that it's overdone. It feels like it has just enough laying over in layers to feel like that you can follow it without getting lost. Uh, and and I think that I think it's very, very well written and very well told, you know, uh, the Daleks in the Thal Dome are nearly complete with their sweep and have nearly killed everyone in the dome when they receive a message from Davros ordering them to return to the the Khaled bunker. This order has been given just before Garmin and his resistance movement, which is the majority of the remaining Khaleds, are able to burst in on Davros and attempt to make him to 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 stop him to Nider's surprise Davros orders surrender Garmin and the rebels meet with Davros give them their ultimatum to destroy the Daleks and cease work on the project until the the conscience and the morality is put back in uh, Davros agrees but since he is agreeing to their ultimatum requests uh, an indulgence he wants a meeting of both the military and scientific elite in an hour for both cases to be made and a vote to be taken. Once on again, issue. he plays both sides against the middle. Yep. Keep that in because mind. He, he knows Garmin can't, you know, refuse him this request because Garmin is talking about democracy. Mm-hmm. And there's the vote. And Garmin has democracy. already said that he wants as little bloodshed as possible. Right. And so Garmin ac- acquiesces to Davros's uh, request. The Doctor, Sarah, and Harry find some explosives and detonators, and they are going to go blow up the Dalek mutant's growth chamber. Uh, They're going to blow it up and destroy the Dalek mutants once and for all. The Doctor even makes mention of it feeling... Uh, and I may not be using the exact right terminology that he used, but he, he the gist of what he says is that it, it seems very serendipitous that they have discovered this stuff almost as if they were supposed to. There's a little bit of trouble with the, the Dalek mutants, but it's really much of a non-issue. It just creates a nice little cliffhanger <laughs> it's at the, the very first, end. It's the very first time that I remember where you actually get to see a Dalek outside of his tank suit actually physically attacks somebody yeah the dalek uh, mutants a couple of them uh have jumped onto the doctor and are strangling him at least two uh, but i think there may have been three because i think i saw them pull three of them off of him yeah it's 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 several of them <laughs> they're like uh, all around his neck and trying to strangle him and <laughs> yeah harry and sarah um help the doctor you know rid himself of these dalek mutants and they throw them back in the room all the doctor has to do now is touch a set of two wires together that'll set off the charge and the daleks will be destroyed this is when his conscience decides to show up <laughs> the doctor's been pretty okay with 
putting an end to the Daleks so far. But now that he's at the point of no return, his conscience decides to start yelling at him. Uh, and he says, do I have the right to do this? I'll be no better than the, than the Daleks if I do this. This is genocide. Can I do that? You know, there still may be good things uh, that will happen if the Daleks are allowed are let to, are allowed to survive because other people will rally together and ally themselves against the Daleks. And you can see the personalities of the previous three doctors coming back to the surface in this moment, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially I think uh, the uh, maybe the first and the third more so. Uh, yeah. Because he's really, really deliberating over this, you know, and you can tell by the look on his face, he is really in torment at this point in his in his heart because he doesn't know if he's doing the right thing. Thankfully for the doctor, he doesn't have to make the decision because Garmin tells him that the ultimatum has been accepted and that, that there will be a vote held shortly and that they've basically won. They just need, they're just await the final decision uh, with this vote. And the doctor says, thank you. You know, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And he rips the wires out of their, their holding uh, from underneath the door and drops them and walks away. So happy that he doesn't have to make that decision. Unfortunately, the Daleks are on their way. Uh, during the vote, uh, which has been taken, the Doctor and Sarah and Harry find their belongings and start unobtrusively collecting them, including the time ring. However, they notice that neither, right as the vote is being taken, um, walks off. Yeah. He leaves, which this is the most crucial moment. Why is he leaving? Well, the doctor says they need to find out. <laughs> this is the where he really comes off as very snaky kind of, you know. Yeah, he just. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. And so there's a, str- a quick struggle happens in which, unfortunately, the time ring is knocked off the doctor's wrist, unbeknownst to him. So they capture Nider. And have him take them to where the tape of the with the future information is being kept uh, in Davros's safe in his office. Nider, of course, claims that he can't open it because he doesn't know the combination. However, the safe is too high for Davros to reach from his chair. And so they say, Nider, you're the one who opens the safe. Give us the tape. <laughs> you get that whole thing, really. Really? really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nider, if looks could kill, Nider would have incinerated the doctor at that point. Yeah. Um, but he, <laughs> get, you know, opens the, the safe. They get the tape. They're happy. Find a prototype of the Dalek gun sitting on Davros's office and use it to destroy the tape. However, in their happiness about destroying the tape, they do not notice that Nider has slipped off and has now locked them inside the office. The doctor goes, oh well, we can leave now. They've basically won and we've destroyed the tape. We'll just use the time ring. Oh dear. It's not on his wrist anymore. They have to get out and find the time (laughs) ring. Uh... Meanwhile, of course, the Daleks have 
uh, returned, and Davros is once again in control of the situation because he has Garvin and his resistance murdered en masse. The, the way they use the time ring in this makes me remember uh, the way they used the Mercury in the, the original Dalek storyline is because... Yep. You know, the only reason they had to continue to put themselves in more jeopardy was to get that MacGuffin, you know? Yep. <laughs> yes, that is very true. However, the good thing that has happened with the Daleks' return, it is it has also brought the Thal resistance group uh, and Severin, the, the Muto. The Thals have their last-ditch effort with their explosives and they are going to essentially entomb all the Daleks inside the bunker. And as they are setting up their explosives at the entrance of the bunker, Severin sneaks inside to try and locate the doctor and his friends, uh, the doctor, Harry and Sarah. He is able to unlock and open the office door and finds the doctor, uh, Sarah and Harry inside the doctor sends the three of them back out while he retrieves the time ring and uh, goes back to reassemble his explosives at mm -hmm. the Dalek mutant hatchery room. He's going to blow it up anyways because, uh, as he now knows, Diveros is back in control and the rest of the resistance is dead. The doctor is unable to, to connect the wires uh, before he is spotted by a Dalek, he darts back around the corner before the Dalek can shoot him, but drops the wires on the floor. Mm -hmm. As the Dalek comes around the corner after him, the Dalek accidentally shoves the two wires together, blowing up the incubator room and that said Dalek with it. Yeah. And then so Davros, the doctor himself didn't. Davros can hear all this disruption going on, you know. Yes. Uh, he also notices that the Dalek automated assembly line has been started, but he didn't give the order and orders it to be shut down. Yeah. However, the Daleks say, no, of course you didn't give the order. We did. We started it on our own. And Davros is like, you can't do that. Nider, shut it down. And Nider goes to shut down the automated assembly line, gets shot for his troubles, and, uh, well... Let's just say, as the Doctor is trying to escape, uh, you know, just ahead of the Thals uh, blowing up the entrance, he manages to squeak out. The Thals blow up the entrance, bury the Daleks inside the bunker. Davros is left with his creation that is now turning against him. And I think it's ironic because the only reason that it has turned against him is because of the very modifications that he asked them to make to their genetic material to change their brain. Yep. Because Davros is inferior to the Daleks, and he should not be allowed to live. He is their enemy now. They and the rest of Davros's Khaled supporters, uh, well, his supporters are killed. The crippled scientist, as the... Uh, Wikipedia page, the TARDIS wiki page calls him. He pleads for his life because he was their creator. And as he realizes that that is uh, 
futile, reaches for a self-destruct button to destroy the Daleks and gets shot for his troubles. Yeah. Uh, the Daleks then say that they will, in time, well, rebuild and will become the supreme power of the universe. Okay. We, we know that he's supposed to get shot, but he basically gets shot off screen. Yes. So we believe he got shot at the end of this. The the Daleks uh, say that they will rebuild, they will grow stronger, and when the time is right, they will emerge and become the supreme power of the universe. The Doctor acknowledges that while the incubator room is gone, in the end, all he was really able to do is slow the Daleks' progress by a thousand years or so. Which uh, is fall. really interesting, considering that it's been approximately a thousand years <laughs> when he runs into them in the original Dalek storyline. <laughs> yep. Yep. About a thousand years. About one thousand years later, almost to the day, uh, the Doctor will emerge onto Scarrow with Ian, Barbara, and Susan and discover a city. <laughs> with the Daleks just learning that they can reemerge onto the surface. Right. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> the Doctor, Sarah, Harry say their goodbyes to Betten and Severin and then use the time ring. Sarah asks the Doctor why he doesn't seem too disappointed that they failed. Um, and the Doctor sa says that although the Daleks will create havoc and destruction, uh, he knows that out of their evil, something good has to come out of it. And that's where the episode ends. Yeah. Very poetic as, ending, you know. Yes, yeah, very poetic ending as they are spinning through time and space holding on to this little time ring. I love this story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I love this story. <laughs> All right. Well... Any further thoughts that you really want to get on this storyline before we start, you know, wrapping it up and, uh, you know, giving our ratings and everything? Uh, well, I mean, I just feel like that it's very I, – I, I honestly don't think that you could really improve that much on what they've done with setting up Davros and setting up the, the creation of the Daleks and – especially the way that the fourth doctor interacts with Davros and everything. And that's something that I love about Tom Baker is he can very easily play the smartest man in the room without doing it pretentiously, but at the same time have that boyish playfulness where he's kind of poking fun at the other person without coming off like a jerk. You know right. what I mean? And I think that he's just walking that tightrope of likability versus, you know, I, not mean-spiritedness, but uh, just... Of, of being the smartest person and knowing that he's the smartest person and flaunting the fact that he's the smartest right. person. Right. He's, he's not, like, putting it in your face all the time, you know. But you right. do hear him make these comments about... Even I have trouble figuring that one out or something like that because he knows that he knows more about what's going on than everybody else in the in the, the scenario. Uh -huh. But he's even having trouble figuring this part out, you know. Uh, it's funny because he he does get 
uh, in some of the earlier story arcs in this uh, this season, he does sort of flaunt his smarts a little bit. And towards the end of this season and getting into uh, the next season, he, he begins to uh, learn to to lighten up on that and to be a little bit more likable. And, of course, by the end of his second season and beginning of his third, he's super likable. And by the end of it, it all, he's one of the most loved doctors, right. period. So. Well, now, if you think about it, though, not a, not necessarily every single time, but most of the times that we've seen a doctor regeneration, he does kind of start out each new regeneration being less likable, being a little bit more pretentious and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then he just kind of, I guess, evolves a little bit in his personality as he progresses to become the doctor that everybody knows and loves, you know? Right. And, And I think that part of that has to do simply with just his regeneration process. I think. Yeah, I would agree. The funny thing about this story arc is that it, you know, while it is definitely one of the most memorable and most important of the Dalek stories, it's sandwiched smack dab in the middle of a season where right before it we have the second appearance of the Santarans, <laughs> and right after it we have the first appearance of the Cybermen since the Second Doctor. <laughs> they were like, "We're going all out yeah. for this season," <laughs> and Tom Baker reaped the benefits. Um, <laughs> So it was pretty cool. Uh, they they get back to Space Station Nova, and that's where the, the Cybermen end up showing up to. Nice. Uh, we'll, nice. But we'll we'll talk about that way down the road. We'll discuss get that ep- episodes. further in the future. Yes. Who knows the future. when? Who knows when? <laughs> Maybe in like five years or something uh, at the rate we're going. Well, no, I'm kidding. no, I don't think so, but... It does depend on whether or not the the listeners want us to discuss uh, the Master next or discuss the Cybermen next or, you know, wherever that situation goes. So Exactly, exactly. But uh, sort of my, my sort of wrapping up final thoughts is, is this story arc is, is unique. It, it's not, I won't say unique, but it, it, it's great because while it's got some action moments, mm-hmm. it's not the... It's not the action that drives it. it it's the, the tension. Yeah, and the, it's exactly the word I was going to use. It's the tension. It's the, the moral quandaries. It's the sort of race against time to stop the inevitable. It's It, it addresses some very interesting philosophical ideas as we get with the discussions between Davros and the Doctor. Uh, and it sort of lays so much groundwork for who the Daleks are, were, and will be. Yeah. And really establishes Davros as a menace to be feared if we ever meet him again. I just, when you were saying that, I just thought of something. It's sort of like the lightsaber battle in Return of the Jedi. It's not the fighting that makes that lightsaber battle so memorable and so... Uh, iconic it's the emotion that's going on during that that makes it so iconic and so memorable you know it it and so it's not the action in that scene necessarily that 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 makes it 
powerful. It's everything mm-hmm. that's going on between the characters in the story. Right. And that's the same scenario you have here. And it's funny because when you sit back and look at it, there's sort of big grandiose military movements being done, Mm -hmm. but we don't see most of that. It's sort of done off screen or we get to view it on a little view screen with with the bombardment and and the rocket being fired. We don't actually get a lot of direct action. Mm -hmm. When you look back at the whole thing, all six episodes, you get maybe 15 minutes worth of action in the whole thing. And and I think that that is them playing to their strengths in this because we already know they're working on a shoestring budget as it is, but mm-hmm. they're they're using the story, they're using the characters and the 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 scenarios that are going on between these characters to drive it forward as opposed to needing you know, these huge sets and these huge, you know, big budget fighting scenes and all of this kind of stuff. I mean, sure, it would be nice to be able to see, you know, tanks rolling around, you know, blowing each other up and things like that, if you can pull it off. But even if you had that in there, this story doesn't need that to be good. You know, even if you had it in there, really having more than 30 seconds or so of that, would just be overkill in my opinion. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, it while while I say there's not on the whole too much action, that's not a detriment to the no, story. No. It doesn't need that much action. It, it it the tension of the whole situation is what drives it, is what keeps you coming back and is what keeps the six episode story arc from feeling like it's too long. Right. Because it doesn't feel like it's too long, and it doesn't feel like it's drawn out too much. It it feels like a motion picture almost. Granted, a, a rather long one. Yeah. If you strung it all together, but like like, uh, like a Hobbit movie. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. But it, but it works. And so, saying all that, Paul, <laughs> how many Daleks are you going to give this? Out of ten. <laughs> Where okay. would, how would you rate? Genesis um, of the Daleks. I've, I've, Are you going to have to give us two, a nostalgic and a critical? No, no. I, I've already given you my qualms about it, uh, albeit they're pretty small. The biggest one being the clam monsters. You know, mm-hmm. the writing overall, I think, is really well done. Um, even though in a couple of places, I and I really didn't get the vibe in the past as much as I did this last time I watched it. Uh, and that's probably because I've seen so much new who lately. And, uh, especially with, uh, watching season nine and everything. And, uh, which is probably the only reason that I even was thinking about a different way of using the companions and things in the story, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but all in all, I think that, what special effects we had in this were good. There weren't that many needed effects, obviously because of the type of story we were telling, but uh, Mm -hmm. I felt like that the acting was spot on. You know, I think the music was well used and Mm -hmm. fitting for the scenes that it was used in. This is if, if it's not my number one favorite uh, classic who story overall, it's one of my top five. I know. You know, mm-hmm. um, I do like 
Caves of Androzani, but... Uh, oh, that's such a good <laughs> one. Yeah, but we'll get into the reasons why it's not perfect later. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to save that for the episode we mentioned before. Um, yeah. But um, we do actually need to do a review on that at some point, too. Well, uh, we'll... Yeah. Get around to all of these Even- eventually, eventually, hopefully. Eventually, eventually. <laughs> Genesis of the Daleks. I, I, what are you going to rate I it? i got to give it a 9.5. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I would give it a 10 if it wasn't for the clam monsters and stuff, you know. Uh, but i got to give it a 9.5. Nice. <laughs> nice. I'm going to give this one a solid 9 out of 10. It, it's, it's a really good story. Of course, my my personal favorite of the fourth Doctor mm-hmm. uh, is, is Pyramids of Mars. So, which is uh, an outstanding uh, one, as well. Yes, I'm glad you finally were <laughs> able to see it. Um, but this one is, it is probably the most impactful mm-hmm. classic Doctor Who story arc ever, because the ramifications from this story. Mm-hmm. Are still being felt today. Yeah, as we as we saw with uh, you know very blatantly uh, here in season nine or series nine with Peter yeah. Capaldi and the return of Davros. And even if you don't watch any other Dalek episodes, if you watch the 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 original Dalek storyline in season one of the classic Who series, and then you watch mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Genesis of the Daleks, and then watch. Uh, the the magician's apprentice and which is familiar and watch those three in a row you'll see how every one of those ties together like in a nice little bow you know mm-hmm. uh it the it really does <laughs> it, it's like it's like connect the dots yeah. and and the daleks and genesis of the daleks has so many threads going back yeah. to those two episodes um, and it's it's kind of a toss up as to which one has more, but I think Genesis of the Daleks would win in that regard. Yeah. Um, as the how many references and threads that tie back to it, uh, it is probably the single aside from the introduction of the Daleks, it is the single most important Dalek story ever. Okay, and if you have not seen the Magician's Apprentice, and which is familiar. Uh, cover your ears for about 30 seconds because I'm going to spoil it. Um, so you could start covering your ears now. The speech that the doctor gives when he's standing there holding those wires and he's talking about if you knew that a child was going to grow up to be a mass murderer, could you kill mm-hmm. that child? That right. is a direct callback in those two episodes. And I was sitting there going, Oh my God! They actually did it. They actually well, they, did it. You know, <laughs> they ended up they ended up just completely taking the footage yeah. from Genesis of the Daleks exactly. of Tom Baker saying that <laughs> and projected it, you know, for the twelfth Doctor to view. And then Davros asks him, "Well, could you?" You know, <laughs> uh, and and he has to face that yeah. question again. Um, and so there you go. That that's like. 30 seconds over folks but yeah no it's it's great it's great um oh man i don't know how we come down after this one but our next episode (laughs) is going to thankfully still involve tom baker's fourth doctor yeah 
in Destiny of the Daleks, and we will uh, be met with an entirely new companion, and perhaps the return of some sort of nefarious enemy of the, <laughs> of the Doctors. Uh, hey guys, I gotta tell you, this is how awesome Jason is. I went to my mailbox, I opened my mail, and I had a copy of these episodes on DVD that Jason had sent me in the mail. Yeah, it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I won't mention that I had inadvertently bought a second copy because I didn't think I had it originally, and then I had opened the plastic and was like, and was putting it on my shelf and went, oh, I already own this. Hey, I know who would like this. I don't. Hey, care. Paul, what's your address? I don't care, <laughs> dude. That was so awesome. That was that was well, amazing. I appreciate that so much. You're welcome. <laughs> you are very welcome. Uh, and the funny thing is, is, I didn't even tell him what I was sending him. I was like, hey, what's your address? <laughs> and he kept asking me if I was sending him a bomb. Um, <laughs> oh. I was like, no, no, you're not getting out of the co-hosting well, it, it, uh, it, duties it, that easily. It did blow my mind if that... <laughs> <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> I knew as soon as uh. it had gotten to him because all of a sudden my phone went, oh my gosh, thank you! you know, something to that effect. And guys, the nostalgia of this for me was so great. I've been watching, you know, so much classic Who lately and everything. I went back and watched all the Sarah Jane episodes and, of course, went back and watched this again. Uh, the nostalgia for the fourth Doctor was so great that I had to, like copy Jason and go buy my own fourth doctor scarf. So <laughs> quick question. Did you see this episode as a kid? The Genesis of the Daleks. Did you see Genesis of the Daleks as a kid uh, on PBS? I, I, I know, folks... I know I saw parts of it. I can't remember if I saw it in its entirety or not, but I know I saw parts of it. I, I okay. saw it. I, I would say I at least saw over half of it as a kid. Okay. Okay. You know. Yeah. Folks, um, here in the States, when Doctor Who was being aired uh, during the 70s and 80s, it was aired on PBS, uh, rather, because we don't have the BBC, and BBC America did not exist. Uh, right. So. So it was aired on educational television. <laughs> 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 Which is funny because originally, uh, when the show was started, it was supposed to be somewhat educational. Um, of course, by the time we get to <laughs> the fourth Doctor, that it's that's completely thrown out the window. All there, right, there well, was else... there was a time in my life that, for a short time, the only thing I watched on PBS was Doctor Who and Reading Rainbow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And of course, Take a look. yeah. Then my it's my own kids uh... reading rainbow, reading rainbow. Yeah. My my own kids end up watching the same thing, so you know it's. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> there you go. Now your kids watching <laughs> Doctor Who and reading Rainbow. Uh, can't go wrong there. <laughs> uh, especially you know when I, you know, pull it up. Uh, well, I, I'm not recently because I have a two-year-old and a thirteen-year-old. Uh, so it's kind of, they're kind of in the middle, you know, of those two ages. But um, when my oldest son was much younger, I would pull up the uh, the episodes of Reading Rainbow for him. And they would actually be showing reruns of some of the ones that I had seen back in the early 80s. 
you know, so <laughs> I'm sitting there with him and I'm going, yeah, I think I'm going to watch this again. You know, I'm, 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 an, I'm an adult, but you know, I, I don't care. <laughs> this is nostalgia, you know, but, uh, you know, That's funny. I think it's kind of the same thing when, when, uh, people rewatch like the classic episodes of, uh, uh, like Looney Tunes or something, you know, that they watched oh, back in the man. day. Uh, because my grandpa was, I think he was in his sixties and he was still watching Looney Tunes on Saturday mornings and stuff, you know, uh, why not? And, you know, because in his mind, that was an adult cartoon, you know, uh, which back in those days, it sort of was the adult cartoon, sort of like the Simpsons and stuff are, are now, you know, because the, it was written and, and created for an audience that was ageless, I think, uh, yeah. much like Doctor Who. There uh, you go. And that's how we bring it yeah, back around. Exactly. All right. uh, so any final thoughts on Genesis of the Daleks before we, we wrap up this episode, Paul? I'm just glad I got to watch it again, and I'm glad I have my own copy of it now. There you uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, I'm excited about the fact that uh, we have the ability to watch these in a way that we can see the connective tissue, you know, mm-hmm. because the, uh, the, uh, the stories, especially that are coming up, we can kind mm-hmm. of see how point a points to point B and point B points to point C, you know, especially in one particular character's story arc. Another thing too, uh, that I, I just remembered I wanted to point out, um, you know, the doctor was able to destroy those tapes mm-hmm. so that data never was given to the Daleks memory banks. How, right. However, Davros heard every word of everything that was given in the recording of those tapes. But here's the catch. Davros wasn't around <laughs> Through the entire time that all of that stuff was going on for him to right. be able to do anything about it. So everything stayed the same. It did. <laughs> that it did. I thought that was kind of uh, interesting the way that worked out. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and moving forward, we have one more uh, one more episode with the fourth Doctor. Uh, then we will really start hitting the accelerator with these Do- uh, Dalek story arc uh, episodes. Uh, I think the fifth Doctor only has one, the sixth Doctor only has one, yeah. and the seventh Doctor only has one. So we'll hit that in pretty quick succession. Yeah. And then we'll be into the modern series. We're uh, going to completely you know. skip over the eighth Doctor altogether because he doesn't have but one storyline. So Right. Uh, he, he doesn't have a Dalek... Uh, a, in uh, visual media, he does not right. have a Dalek encounter. Uh, at some point, when I have the ability to go back and listen to some Big Finish audio with him, right. I'd love to talk about it here on the show. I just don't have the time or the money to, to start spending on Big Finish. Because once I get one, I'm going to have to get them all. Um, so I'm already, I already have that disease with the classic Doctor Who DVDs. I can't add Big Finish in right now. And, to... Oh, and Big Finish <laughs> just put out a brand new set of War Doctor stories. I think it's a three-pack. Um, of course we've, we've got the trailer for that on our Facebook page if you guys haven't seen it. So 
we won't see uh, another incarnation of the Doctor until Eccleston uh, after the Seventh Doctor because mm-hmm. we're going to skip over the Eighth Doctor. We're going to skip over the War Doctor because the War Doctor story gets told out of order, and we will not yeah. we will not see that until we we see Matt Smith. So. Yeah, we're we're gonna do uh, the 50th anniversary special that features the War Doctor. Uh, when we get to Matt Smith and the Eleventh Doctor uh, Dalek story arcs, so right. we'll we'll come back and hit that uh, later on in the timeline there, and we will get all the way up through series nine episodes. Mm-hmm. So series nine, if you want to hear our thoughts on those Dalek story arcs, we will just point you back to our initial episodes <laughs> uh, featuring. The Magician's Apprentice and the Witch's Familiar. Uh, <laughs> and depending so. on where we fall in the timeline of the next season of Doctor Who, uh, season 10, is going to depend on whether or not we're going to go directly into any possible Dalek story arcs that they might have in that, uh, or if we're going to switch gears and go to another topic and then maybe revisit that whenever we do the entire uh, season. But... I think we've just given you a nice little download of, of our future with this <laughs> with going forward here. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us and interact with us on our Facebook page, we would greatly appreciate that. You can do that on Facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. Our Twitter handle is at Talking Time Lord, or you can email us at Talking Time Lords at gmail.com. Also, please, if you would like, uh, if you do listen to us on please. iTunes, please... Uh, leave us a kind rating and review. We would greatly appreciate that, uh, as that would help us to uh, be more visible in the queue. And if you don't, uh, we might send the Daleks to exterminate you. Hmm. <laughs> exterminate. Exterminate. You are an enemy of talking time, lords. <laughs> <laughs> you will be exterminated. <laughs> there we oh. go. <laughs> All right. Oh. Anything else, Paul? Yeah, I do have one thing. Oh, I completely forgot. Okay. Also, check out our website at TalkingTimeLords <laughs> at Gmail. Oh, gosh. That's our, that's our you flew, you email address. Uh, our, <laughs> it, it, yes, I did. Um, <laughs> our website is TalkingTimeLords.com. <laughs> it's easy. Uh, while I'm thinking about it, I did have one thing. Uh, I know that uh, we've got a lot a lot of brand new listeners uh, right now that are jumping on board. We want feedback from you guys. We want to hear your thoughts. You know, we want to have conversations with you guys. We want to have a community here. So, you know, if you guys want to hit us up on social media or whatever, that's great. We want to hear from you guys. Uh, I know a lot of you guys are listening to us um, on either iTunes or Stitcher or uh, other formats. Uh, some of those formats do not have uh, anything past, I think, the first, uh, the latest, maybe 10 episodes, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being the case, if you want to listen to previous episodes that we have, we really don't have any other way for you to do that at this point other than the website. But they are yes. 100% of our, of our previous episodes are available on the website. All you have to do is go to the homepage. Scroll down to the bottom, click the link. It'll take you to our previous episodes, and there'll be another link at the bottom of that page and so on and so forth to take you all the way back to episode one. 
Yep. So right now we've only got I think three pages worth. Something like that. Um, we're we're, so, we're about to hit the fourth, I think. Yeah. So. But uh, do do go back and check out those episodes. We'd really appreciate it. Let us know what you think. And I think that'll wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number thirty-four, Genesis of the Daleks story review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts, or visit patreon.com thunderquack to help support the shows. To force the listeners to listen to Talking Time Lord. <laughs> yes, I think I would. <laughs> it would put me among the gods, the podcasting gods. <laughs> <laughs>